Luke 24, 13 through 16, this is a story of two people who meet Jesus after the resurrection. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were going to a village called Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with, with each other about what had happened. And as they talked about those things, Jesus himself came up, walked along with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. Jesus asked them, what are you talking about as you're walking along here together? Of the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I think my favorite is Luke. Luke is the one that has the Charlie Brown version of the Christmas story. Luke includes detail in several places that some of the others don't. Plus, I think Luke was a natural skeptic, unfortunately, like me. So I love the way Luke begins his biography. He begins it with this introduction. Listen to this. Many people have attempted to write about the things that have taken place among us. Reports of these things were handed down to us. There were people who saw these things for themselves from the beginning. They saw them and then passed the word on. With this in mind, I myself carefully looked into everything from the beginning. So I decided to write down an orderly report of exactly what happened. I'm doing this for you, most excellent Theophilus. I want you to know that the things you have been taught are true. In other words, I... I, I kind of had to hear this stuff for myself. And after interviewing a bunch of people, I'm completely convinced that it's true, so much so that I needed to tell you about it. Well, with that idea in mind, I want you to imagine chapter 24, the one I read earlier, the two people whom Jesus joined. Imagine the interview that eventuated in that chapter. These two people were some of the first people to actually see Jesus. One of them was named Cleopas, we find out in the next paragraph. The other will what remained unnamed by Luke this morning. We'll call him Ed. So what happened, Ed? I mean, it was amazing, Dr. Luke. It was wild. I don't even know how to describe it. Well, at first it was devastating. I mean, completely devastating. And then it was epic. I don't think calling it the biggest day in my life is big enough. I think it's the biggest day in anybody's life. Uh, okay, okay, Luke interrupted. So what happened? Luke turned his attention to Cleopas. He's obviously not getting anything helpful from Ed. Well, Cleopas began. We were all devastated on Friday, of course. Many of us had made the trip from Galilee specifically because Jesus was going up to Jerusalem for the Passover this year. Tell me about that quickly, Luke asked. So it was the first time going up to Jerusalem for the Passover for either of us, and it, it was even more chaotic than we expected. The road was jammed with people all the way from Galilee, practically the whole week. And then Jerusalem was so big, and the temple was so big. There were people from everywhere, but, but here's the thing. Ed interrupted at this point. He couldn't contain himself. The thing is that all of that chaos turned toward Jesus at the beginning of the week. We had no idea that so many people had heard of him. And even the people who'd never heard of him were buzzing about him by the time we got into the city. Cleopas added, Luke, I actually missed the whole parade that first day. What parade? Luke asked. He was looking for confirmation, although he'd already done several interviews about the explosion that happened the first day that Jesus came into the city. 
So Ed gave a lengthy explanation of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and a huge crowd singing Psalm 118, the palm branches waving, Jesus on a donkey. Who knew where that donkey came from? Soldiers gathering to keep the peace, but also interested. Sick people crying out for his attention. His followers at the center of it as well. This explanation was one long run-on sentence and Luke couldn't find a way to interrupt. And when Ed finally took a breath, Luke quickly inserted, So Cleopas, you were unable to go, you said. Yeah, Cleopas took up the story. I stayed back in Bethany until the next day, and it was entirely different the next day. We went into the city with Jesus. What do you mean? Luke asked. Well, we went up to the temple on Monday, and there was still quite a buzz about Jesus. You could sense it everywhere, but then Cleopas paused with the faraway look of someone remembering Then Jesus just went nuts. I mean, he literally tore the temple court apart. I don't know if I've ever seen him that angry. And he said some really offensive stuff to the religious leaders. To the religious leaders. What did you do? Luke asked. I don't even remember. We we were all kind of stunned. You know, I think it started to go downhill at that point. Well, Luke really wanted Cleopas' feelings about this, so he asked, what do you mean? Well, by the middle of the week, we heard rumors that the religious leaders were out to get Jesus. I think that day in the temple, it was just too much for them. I, I mean, they'd been upset with him way back in Galilee and with some of his teachings all along, but here, here in Jerusalem, these were the leaders. I'm talking about the Sanhedrin and, and the high priest himself, and they were very upset, and, and every interaction Jesus had with them, it, it just got worse. It got more and more hostile. Well, you know what happened. All three of them, interviewer and interviewees, paused, but what happened was still nearly unspeakable. So, After Jesus died, what did you do? And Luke waited a moment for them to regain their composure. Cleopas spoke first. Some of our friends went into Jerusalem and met with the disciples. They were were gathering to, to try to figure out what to do. We didn't go. Then Ed continued. We couldn't. It was it was just too much. We, we wanted to get out of there. We decided to head back home ahead of everybody else. We needed, to, we needed to get away from everything. Cleopas picked up the story again. So we packed up. We headed out. First day, we intended to walk to Emmaus. Do you know that little village? Luke knew, and then Cleopas continued. We knew somebody there who would put us up for the night. So we were walking on the road to Emmaus, talking about everything that happened, and all of a sudden... He was there walking with us. Cleopas looked far away again, so Luke pressed, wait, uh, who was, what do you you mean, who was there? Ed picked up. Well, this guy started walking along with us. What are you talking about, he asked, as if anybody could talk about anything else. So Cleopas looked at him and says, dude, are you the only person around who doesn't know what happened? Ed laughed his head off it, thinking of Cleopas talking to the Lord himself that way, Cleopas wasn't laughing. So what happened next, Luke asked. So, so the stranger asked us, what things just happened? So now let's pick up Luke's story. We're going to read beginning in verse 19. We'll go through the end of the chapter. And let's go old school. Let's stand out of reverence for God's word. Luke chapter 24. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet. He was powerful in what he said and did in the sight of God and all the people. 
The chief priests and our rulers handed Jesus over to be sentenced to death. They nailed him to a cross. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to set Israel free. Also, it's the third day since all this happened. Some of our women amazed us too. Early this morning, they went to the tomb. They didn't find his body, so they came and told us what they'd seen. They saw angels who said Jesus was alive. Then some of our friends went to the tomb. They, they saw it was empty. Just as the women had said, they didn't see Jesus' body there. And Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, how long it takes you to believe all that the prophets said. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then receive his glory? And Jesus explained to them what was said about himself in all the scriptures. He began with Moses and all the prophets. They approached the village where they were going. Jesus kept walking as if he were going farther. But they tried hard to keep him from leaving. They said, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. He joined them at table. Then he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. But then he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, he explained to us what the scriptures meant. Weren't we excited? Literally, weren't our hearts burning within us as he talked with us on the road? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and those with them. They were all gathered together. They were saying, it's true. The Lord has risen. He's appeared to Simon. Then the two of them told what had happened to them on the way. They told how they had recognized Jesus when he broke the bread. You may be seated. So evidently, Cleopas and Ed had heard the rumors about Jesus being resurrected even before they left for Emmaus, but who could believe such a thing? They were making the seven-mile walk to Emmaus, tired, overwhelmed, overwhelmed, uh, discouraged, and somewhat purposeless. And a stranger appeared. Now, the walk would have taken about two and a half hours, and we don't know at what point Jesus appeared, but we know that when he came up, that he wasn't recognized by the two of them. And, and did you catch Cleopas's word of discouragement? I suspect that Cleopas and Ed thought this was the final word. They thought they knew the story. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to set Israel free. They thought they knew the story, and they thought the final chapter had been written for most of you, I don't know your story personally, but I'm pretty sure it's had disappointments. I'm pretty sure there have been times that your story has turned dramatically away from hope, away from peace. I'm pretty sure there are times when your story has turned toward fear or anxiety or depression or freneticness. Maybe you're in that story this morning. Cleopas and Ed, but wait, side note, I'm certain that the other person was not named Ed. I'm pretty sure that there was nobody in biblical times named Ed. But anyway, they, along with many of Jesus' first followers, had invested high hopes in Jesus. Some had invested more than that. They had begun to hope that Jesus was the one who would establish Israel as a reestablish Israel as a world power they'd hoped that if they attached their personal futures 
and their political fortunes, if you will, to Jesus, then there might be a cushy appointment for them or for one of their children, or there might be a financial or a social windfall. But more than that, they'd hope that Jesus was going to make life better for everyone in Palestine. They'd hope that their lives would return to the great days of old. Plus, there would be this epic spiritual renewal. I mean, Jesus talked about that more than he talked about anything else. And you hear it in their story, don't you? Hope disappointed. Not knowing really what to think, how to process these events, where to go. What does our story even mean now? We were part of it. We were among the first to recognize the Messiah. We could see it all happening. We could sense the growing momentum, the growing excitement, and now what? And they thought that's the story they were living. Then Jesus spoke. How foolish you are, how slow to believe. And then he explained to them everything. He explained what God had said, what God had done, what God had predicted, what they had just witnessed. I'd love to have been in that conversation. Sometimes we don't even know what story we're living in. Maybe often we get it completely wrong or, or maybe we forget. Did you hear about uh, the man and his wife that had been married for 60 years? They shared everything, but one, the old man's wife asked him never to do one thing, never to look in a shoebox that she kept on the top shelf of the closet in their bedroom. Not thinking anything of it. The man never asked about its contents. He just figured it was one of those things. And one day when the old woman had fallen ill and didn't have much longer to live, she called her husband to her hospital bed and she said, the time has come. I want you to go look in the box in the closet. The old man went home, grabbed the box and opened it. And inside there were two crocheted dolls and a bundle of money totaling $95,000. How? Why? What? He asked his wife. He was completely mystified. Well, right before we got married, the old woman explained to her astonished husband, my grandmother told me that the secret to a happy marriage was never to really argue. She said, if you ever get really angry uh, with him and you just want to quit, uh, I should keep quiet and crochet a doll. The old man was touched. There were only two dolls in the shoebox. She'd been angry with him after all of these years, only two times. He scooped up his wife and gave her a big kiss. But where did the money come from, he asked. Oh, that, she said with a smile. That's the money I made from selling the dolls. So we, we often don't even know what story we're living in. Sometimes we think we're in a marriage free of conflict, but we're not. <laughs> And some of us think that we're living in a story of diminished relationship. We think it's our job to tamp down our hopes, to protect our hearts. Looks like I'll never get married. Since that's what will make me happiest, I better shut my heart down. Looks like I'll never reconcile with my sister or with my parents or with my best friend, better get used to that idea. Looks like my marriage will always disappoint me badly. But that's not the story we're living in. We follow a Lord, governor of our lives, who specializes in reconciliation, who brings hope when things look hopeless, who turns defeat and death into life and victory because Jesus was raised from the dead Overcoming the ultimate enemy of our story, our job is not to settle, 
to get used to disappointment, to lower our expectations. Our job is to trust and to believe in him. He will ultimately make all things right, all things new. That's our story. Some of us think we're living in the story of failing health. Each day seems like a new surrender of what used to be normal. And we want normal again. We're depressed and afraid. We hate to hear from the doctor. We know the news will be bad. So we've made it our job to distract ourselves, to find pockets of enjoyment wherever we can. It's hard, frankly, not to just give up. But that's not the story we're in. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we now live in reverence of the Son of Righteousness who rises with healing in His wings. We follow the great physician who healed all manner of diseases and sickness, and He still can. We have a future filled with a glory that far outweighs all of our current sicknesses and ailments. That's the real story. That's the story we're living in if we're in Christ. Some of us think we're living in the story of financial distress. It dominates our thinking. What will we do? We don't have what we'd hoped for. In some cases, we don't have what we used to have. We're convinced we need to worry. We're convinced our job is to get it right. We're, we're convinced we need to figure it out. We've got we've to work harder. We've got to plan better. Or worse, maybe our story is that we have more than we ever expected, but it's not enough. We can't stop because it, it hasn't quite satisfied, not like we imagined it would. It doesn't feel like we thought it would, so it must be that we need more. But that's not the story we're living in because Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, the Lord is our shepherd. Our needs will not go unmet. We have nothing to be afraid of or to worry about. Remember, Jesus was alone, utterly without resources, utterly without connections, and with, with no way out of his dire situation and what we fear might happen in that kind of circumstance. It happened. The worst happened. But that wasn't the end of the story. Jesus overcame it all. And when he did, he released a new kind of relationship with God, a new kind of healing, a new kind of peace, a new kind of hope, a living hope. Our job is not to worry or to get it right. Our job is not to lower our expectations. Our job is not to keep ourselves distracted, to stay barely ahead of the depression. Our job is to trust and to believe in Him. That's the story we're in. At the end of their day, Jesus stopped with Cleopas and Ed to have a meal. <laughs> he broke bread with them. And according to verse 31, their eyes were opened. By the way, that same phrase is used in the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis. Adam and Eve had disobeyed God. And their eyes were opened. They understood finally. They got real insight into the, the, the dark side of their story, the, the dark side of reality. For the first time, they saw the consequences of life apart from God. Up to that point, it had been unimaginable. unimaginable. But, but now, too late, they saw it all. Disconnection, disunity, decay, death. It's almost as if Luke is starting to understand that when we experience Jesus, because he's risen from the dead, when we experience him, he, he undoes everything that has happened before. It's almost as if Adam and Eve experienced an unraveling of everything, but then because Jesus is risen from the dead, 
he re-knits it back together for those who experience him. He, he rewrites our story. When we experience Jesus, our eyes are open, but this time to the light, to the bright side of reality, if you will, to the reality of life with God and God's great provision for us, and everything is new. That's why one of the first followers of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, said this, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. I've said before here at Gateway, my favorite testimony of all time I heard years ago by a young man named Eric. He was part of my former church. And Eric talked a lot. But his life was dramatically turned around because of a connection with Jesus Christ. So I asked Eric if he would share that one Sunday with our church. And I said, but Eric, I want you to write it down because I don't want you to go long. So I want you to write it down word for word. And when you get up, I want you to read it. Eric said, okay. So Eric got up on Sunday morning, put his text in front of him, and then he said, forget this. And I went, oh no, I'm going to have to interrupt this somehow. And Eric gave a very quick, very concise, unbelievably compelling testimony. Eric said, my life is brand new because Jesus Christ has come into my life and everything has changed. What I used to think about myself, wrong. What I used to think about women, wrong. What I used to think about work, wrong. What I used to think about money, wrong. What I used to think about my time, wrong. It's all new. And I see it for the first time. Has this ever happened to you? This has literally happened to me. My eyes have been opened. More than once, honestly. Because I'm pretty clueless and God has to re regularly renew his work in my life. I have been slow to believe. I haven't understood the story I'm in or I've lost sight of the real story I'm in. I've gotten overwhelmed by circumstances. I've gotten bogged down in fear or in what I like to call my funk. And then Jesus finds a way to let me know the real story I'm living. And suddenly I see everything in a different light, the true light. I mean it. It was like I was in the dark before, and now I see. And then I choose to trust him. I choose to put my life in his hands. I choose to give it to him. Have you ever made that choice? Are you making that choice regularly? After they recognized him, Jesus left them. And their excitement burst out of the seams. Verses 32 and 33. They said to each other, he explained to us what the scriptures meant. Weren't we excited again? Weren't our hearts burning within us as he talked with us on the road? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and those with them. They were all gathered together. Don't snooze on this. After this experience, they went back to Jerusalem. They retraced seven miles and it was dark. They had to. They had to tell their story. They had to share it with others. Anybody, especially those who had experienced the same thing. This is why we tell other people our story. We can't help it. And this is why we gather here on Sunday morning to rehash our stories with one another. Listen, we pray and we sing songs and we rehear the story and we retell our story, the one we're actually living in, because that helps us affirm this story, the real one. We pray and we sing songs and we rehear the story and we retell our stories to bolster our faith and to remind ourselves that, that that's our real job, believing and trusting in Him. Our job is not to figure it out or to get it all right. Our job is to trust and to believe. Now, different kinds of stories 
get offered to us all the time, throughout our whole lives. Success story. The, uh, the comfort story. Those are stories that get told in the suburbs constantly, aren't they? The pleasure story. Uh, the experience story. Sometimes really specific stories like have the perfect family story. These stories offer to make us happy. They offer to give us purpose. They offer to define our lives, but those stories lie to us. They don't deliver what they promise. I've said this many times here at Gateway, but when we first started this church, almost 25 years ago, we began by surveying the neighborhoods in the area. So I went to your doors. I was much younger, had brown hair, and a head full of it. And I went to your door, and I knocked on your door, and I said, hi, my name is Ed Allen, and I'm in the area. I'm going to start a brand new church. Can I uh, survey you? It'll take less than five minutes. And you were shockingly very nice. Almost none of you slammed the door in my face. I think it might be different now. So I had my little clipboard. I said, I'm not recruiting, and I wasn't. I just want to find out who's in the area and what's going on here. So I asked you seven questions. Sometimes those conversations ended up being longer, but it was because of you, not because of me. You wanted to talk for some reason. Here's the interesting thing. Before coming to Northern Virginia and starting a church here in Northern Virginia, uh, Diane and I lived in uh, a a terribly under-resourced neighborhood in the Boston area, and I pastored a church in that area, and I moved from that area to this area, to arguably the wealthiest county in America, and seriously, when we were first here driving around the neighborhoods here, Diane and I were constantly looking at one another thinking, does one family live in that house? Here's what I found when I knocked on your doors. The impression that I kept getting over time was, you know, we here in Northern Virginia and the wealthy American suburbs, we like our lives. That was so starkly, uh, uh, that information was so starkly available to me because I had just come from living 13 years in a place where people uh, really did not. We like our lives. We just want them a little better. We'd like a little tweak here or there, or maybe a major change. I mean, if we had a major change, if that cancer diagnosis would go away, all good. Oh, if I could just, you know, if I got that promotion, good, really good. If we could get the deck and, and remodel the kitchen, the bathroom upstairs, all good. I'd be happy as a clam. But that's not the story Jesus is telling. That's not the deal he offers. And if we are in Christ, that's not the story we're living in. Jesus offers another story, and he delivers what he promises. It's the story of an eternal kind of life. It's the story of peace with God. Peace that guards our hearts. Peace that cannot even be understood. And it's the story of hope, living hope, that cannot be quenched regardless of circumstances. And all of that, all of that, greater than and even beyond death. That's our story. And it is our story because of the seven greatest words ever spoken. He is not here. He is risen. Christ the Lord is risen. Let's pray. Lord, we do not believe that we are here this morning or we're watching. We do not believe we're here by accident.
it was your purpose that we'd be here. And aside from just the uh, we should go to church on Easter sentiment, you had something to say to our hearts. So this morning we take a moment and listen. For those of us, Jesus, who have never fully experienced you, we've never stepped in, we have never believed the story, we've never placed our life in your hands, we've never made you governor of our lives. Oh my goodness, Lord, I pray today that you would speak in a way that we can understand. Lord, if there's someone here like that, I pray that you would open their eyes like you opened mine. Stir their heart and have it burn within them, them like you stirred mine. And many of us, Lord, have um, lost sight of the real story we're living in. It's a battle to hang on to that every day because, I don't know, we're so busy or, I don't know, it's... Uh, we got lost in the to-do list or the worry list or our pride or our lust or our envy. And we forget the great and glorious story that you have involved us in. I ask in the name of Jesus, today you would remind us. 